interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is The Kerry Edelman Show. Welcome to The Kerry Edelman Show. I am super excited today as we have the unbelievably multi-talented illustrator, writer, and performer, Abby Schaffner, coming on momentarily. So, Before I bring her on, I'm going to do a nice introduction for her. I also like to give just a brief background on my show and why I created it. Um, She's going to be accompanying some of the amazing artists and entertainers I've had the pleasure of interviewing, which include the award-winning journalist and author Mike Sager, renowned mastering engineer Mayor Applebaum, CEO Mark Nawara of the um, Pavement Music Entertainment Group, and tons of other national-level comedians and musicians and bands. So, Please check out the podcast I have. Um, I really created this show because I wanted to give people the opportunity to come on, do an interesting interview with them, and support them and promote them. Um, A little about my background. I have a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. Um, Although I mentioned that my show is an entertainment show, we're not doing therapy um, or any type of assessment, but, you know, sometimes we will bring up topics in an educational format. So my other passion is just pop culture and entertainment. I I love comedy. I love music. So I really wanted to combine the two and um, bring them together to create this forum. And I think now is, you know, a more important time than ever to really give people this opportunity with the unfortunate pandemic we're going through and a lot of things being shut down to have them come on, support them and and promote their products um, and what they're doing today. So if you're tuning in, create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. Let's do an introduction for Abby, and then we'll bring her on. As I mentioned, she is uh, extremely multi-talented. She's an illustrator, writer, and performer. Um, She's toured with the the country with the Second City. She's also performed many solo acts, which have tackled some interesting and difficult topics um, in very creative ways. Her show, Shackner vs. Shackner, was a feel-bad comedy about family, identity, and attempted murder, which became the number one reviewed show at the Hollywood Fringe. Um, and also, more recently, she's uh, dove into co- stand-up comedy, which, to me personally, and, and hopefully this is a compliment to her, um, I think she's absolutely fantastic. I went to YouTube. I've checked out some of her uh, stand-up material, and uh, she looks like she's been doing it forever. She appears very seasoned, um, so I'm a huge fan of her comedy. You can check her out on YouTube. She's performed at Flappers Comedy Club, uh, the White Comedy Club. And in addition to her writing and performing, she is a phenomenal artist and illustrator. She's written several children's books. She's also done illustrations for her own own books as well as some others. So for more information, check her out. Go to yourfriendabby.com. And uh, let's bring her on. Hey, Abby, how are you? I'm good, Carrie. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Cool. So how are you making out right now, unfortunately, with this whole pandemic and a lot of quarantine going on? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, you you notice that time passes. Time is, it, you know, time passes and then some days it slows down, but it, it's, it goes by. Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get into all the things that you've been involved in, but I'm sure you have a tremendous amount of stuff to keep you busy. I I do. I did. I posted something on Instagram last night, though. I feel like I might be doing too many Zooms. I'm sitting in front of the computer a lot, and I'm not used to that. So, uh, (laughs) okay. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, good. So let's do this. Let's start out. I always like to kind of delve into, you know, the person's history and backgrounds, and then we'll kind of build up to how you became involved in all the different aspects um, of your life with the illustrations and the, the comedy and the writing. Um, you know, from what I read, you're originally from Ohio. And tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up there as a kid. And, you know, reflect back, if you can, to, you know, early years, like maybe five, six, seven years old. You know, were you a kid that was shy? Were you outgoing? You know, tell us a little bit about your personality, and then we'll start to dive into other stuff. Well, and I listened to some of your podcasts last night. So, I first of all, I think they're wonderful. And I, I was very nervous. You know, I started getting scared, but we can talk about that yeah. later. I'm from no, Toledo. First of all, thank no, you for the compliment. And, and don't be scared at all. People have told me, and I think this is one of the best things when I hear this, is that once you get rolling, they're like, time flies by, and it's just kind of like you're having coffee with an old friend. So that's what I want to make it like. I just want it to be a conversation. Um, like I said, I'm not someone who's going to be just like, you know, throwing questions out at you. So I'm going to kind of take your lead, too. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll right. get to we can get to my fears later. I'll I'll start with childhood. <laughs> okay. you, you pick you pick the most traumatic age for me. You know, I feel like oh, in my no. I, I, that's it's okay. You know, look at I cry during the news during quarantine. So I'm I'm this is this you know when you ask me about these times, I've become much more sensitive. I mean, I watch David Weir and Nightline, and I and I tear up. I can't I can't get through the news without crying. Um, and I used to not cry at all. So uh, that's different. But, you know, my father was from Brooklyn, and he was a different kind of guy, and he moved to Toledo. And he was a, he kind of, um, you know, always remained, uh, I call it a Shackner. But uh, so I guess that you know, five, six, my parents were probably already divorced. As a kid, uh, which was kind of a traumatic divorce, which was, uh, you know, Shackner versus Shackner, which is the first personal show I ever wrote. Um, right. But I, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry. To, I mean, I can't even imagine. And, again, I want you to talk about, of course, whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm not going to be someone who's, you know, pressing you for stuff if you don't want to share it. So, you know, please, whatever you want to discuss. Yeah, I know, I know. I, it, okay. will, it, it, we'll, we'll back off of something if it seems scary, but we'll – but that's not even what I'm. That's not even ultimately what I'm scared about. But that's that. You know, we'll we'll get to that. Maybe we'll touch okay. on what you know. <laughs> what my ultimate. But but you know, I I was thinking about this because I heard you ask other people that, and and as a kid, um, you know, I remember I I like to pull my pants down in front of the class. I would get in front of the class. <laughs> I went to Hebrew Academy, a very small school, and you know, odd. Odd, kid, odd assortment of children, and I think maybe due to my familial problems, I needed attention. And like when okay. the teacher would leave the room, I'd get up in front of the class and pull my pants, show my butt, not my front. I'd, I'd pull okay. my pants down and show, you know, my underwear too. I'd show my butt. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't like bullies. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I was a, I think I was a, I don't know. I, I thought I, I guess I was a fun kid, but I don't really remember. All I remember is pulling my pants down at Hebrew Academy, and then one time I tripped a kid uh, who had crutches. He was he had hood polio, and I think he was the bully. This is what I'm talking about: the bully. I tripped his crutch out, and I remember pulling my pants down. But I, this time I showed him my underwear, and that was rare for me because I showed him the front of my underwear, so he didn't tell the right. teacher that I tripped, tripped the crutch out from under him. 
But then when I switched schools in second grade, my mom married a wealthy man down the street, and I felt like I had to change. I moved to a different school, and I, and I kind of knew as a young kid, like seven, not to do that anymore. So, um, but I and, feel like and maybe really, I, and real huh? quick, when you were when you were doing this in school, were they like calling your parents and saying, "Hey, you know, Abby just did this today," and what's, you know, was, or did they just kind of ignore it or not even see it? I don't think they saw it. I mean, I remember okay. being threatened, <laughs> threatened by kids with normal families, like uh, one kid threatened to tell the teacher on me. Um, but I don't, I don't. And maybe because of the nature of my parents or the school or what was going on, I don't think they did. I don't okay. think they did say anything. I mean, I think because I, I feel like what happened between my parents, you know, was in newspapers and stuff. And I didn't know, of course, I didn't know that because I was a kid. But I feel like maybe, maybe, um, maybe they were aware and they didn't say anything. I don't know. Right, right. And that would make sense. I mean, like you said, if, if there's things out there in the newspaper, maybe people just want to, you know, keep distance for respectful reasons or, you know, who knows what. Yeah, or maybe they were intimidated. Like my, like I said, right. my mom, you know, was dating. They didn't want to, you, know, uh, you know, crack that image. I don't, I'm not sure, but. Um, okay. So I mean, on the whole, like I think you, I'm just like doing that. Right, right. So, like you said, then you go, you switch to a different school, and what do you think? What do you think went off in you, so to speak, or what? What did I mean? Again, it, it's so long ago, so to speak. But you know, when you said, "Hey, I think I need to change my ways a little bit, or I might need to be, you know, presenting myself a little bit differently in school," what, what do you think triggered that? Well, I, I kind of remember now that a friend of mine who had switched schools, she gave me kind of a walk around the outside of the school in the summer. And I think she mm-hmm. kind of had a feeling, you know, I think she kind of set it up that it was a different school. And she was the oldest of her siblings. Um, she had two younger younger siblings. So maybe she kind of had that, um, I don't know, like leadership thing or like yeah. kind of a, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like she's the one that kind of told me that it was different. Okay. But you definitely had taken to what she had said, which, you know, that's, that's, that's great, you know what I mean, in a way that you're like, all right, let me kind of follow her lead, like you said, and, and maybe do things a little bit differently. So what was, what was this school, new school like for you? And, you know, did you, get, did you have a lot of friends when you were in school, or were you someone who was more like to be by yourself? And as we'll get into, you know, you're an amazing artist and writer and performer. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about just that quality of yourself. Yeah, I think I had friends. I mean, I don't really remember, like, second and third. You know, I don't really remember those years in terms of that. I think I had friends. Um, I think, like, there were some weird rules that my mom had created in terms of, like, the house we moved into um, that were, you know, completely abolished, you know, soon after. But, like, that my friends were supposed to use a certain bathroom or just stupid, stupid stuff like that. Huh, um, okay. That, that changed fast. Um, and of course, like even talking to you today, I'm like still scared about my mother, you know, having like listening, uh, having an opinion, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I did have friends. Um, yeah, I had friends and I think, uh, I, 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 uh, and I think, uh, I was creative. I just think, uh, yeah, now I'm going to go into mother stuff, but no, everything was fine. Everything was fine. Sixth grade was a wonderful year. 
you know. What was it? Yeah. What was it about sixth grade? Sixth grade. Um, well, one I had a between friends and fun and silliness, and I think sixth grade is interesting for a lot of girls because I think we're mm-hmm. you know we're kind of free in a certain way, and then something happens. You know, a lot of times it's boys or you know or popularity or whatnot but sixth grade was good because it was fun and fr- you know I was friends with weird people and silly people and we weren't concerned mm-hmm. and then I got cast in the play and like then boys you know kind of really took a liking even though it was just sixth grade and it was you know safe because it was sixth grade sixth grade kind of stuff but sixth grade right. was uh yeah I, I agree you it. know it's funny you said that just reflecting back because I'm thinking as you're talking about sixth grade just personally for myself and and you're right that was an interesting year in terms, like you said, with just girlfriends and you're being exposed more to boys and thinking about maybe dating or your first kiss or, yeah, that is, that is an interesting time. Um, so go on. So you were cast in a play. Is this the first time you were involved in some type of performance and where you kind of got your interest? I think so. I mean, you know, it's funny because sometimes how we think we're too old. I remember that same friend, you know, too old for something. I remember that same friend who showed me the school in second, you know, before second grade. She would take acting classes. And I remember like as a nine-year-old thinking I was, you know, too old or not good enough to get involved or scared. But then mm-hmm. sixth grade, I just, they were doing the musical Pinocchio. And I remember I had, uh, I had a hoarse voice for Pinocchio, but I got cast in the Sly Fox. <laughs> But boys okay. would do this thing. Boys would do this thing after I did the show. Like they'd, they'd pretend they were opening up a magazine longwise, like they like a centerfold. They would. They right. apparently is is. A, and I didn't have you know. I wasn't even like I. I still have hardly any boobs or whatever. I'm not like the most you know womanly type. But you know they they would do this thing and and I didn't know what it was and then I realized that it was like they're doing like a centerfold because I guess I wore a leotard with a fuzzy tail because I was a sly fox but it was fun and you know um, right right yes and then we had to go to the different school for seven you know seven through twelve was the uh-huh. other school. but yeah it's the school at the school I moved to it was kinder you know some people went kindergarten through twelfth so I moved in second oh, wow. grade okay. and went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some people never okay. lived their you know, childhood shame down. Like if you peed in your chair in second grade, you might still, you know, have difficult ma- difficulty making friends um, your entire high school career, oh, which was gosh. sort of, a, you know. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's pull in a little bit. So as we're talking about, you know, kind of your youthful years, so to speak, this is where, you know, you got involved with the Pinocchio play, so there's definitely a little bit of a performance aspect there. Um, you know, as a, as a young kid, were you someone who did like to doodle and draw? Um, was that something you did young? Because I know reading about, like, your background, too, you said that this is more recent, that you really got involved in the past handful of years in the illustration. And like I said, I just absolutely love your work. I'm very into kind of that whimsical quality. And, again, your artwork, you just know it's you when you see it. So, but take us back a little bit. Was that something you did as a kid or something you didn't get interested in until maybe a little later on in life? It was not something I did. It was drawing and uh, doodling was not of the norm. I didn't, the only thing I remember doodling was in the fifth grade, like on my dad's medical pads, you know, because he was a doctor. (laughs) Like, I would draw the profile of a pregnant woman. I like drawing, you know, 
you know, for some reason I was very into like drawing the breast and the belly and, and that's, that's about the extent of it. You know, like I went through a phase of that and then maybe as I was older, like I'd make people cards or something um, Mm -hmm. or just little, I I feel like even the illustration, it started off, you know, the illustration now it started off with cutting things, you know, like I'd cut shapes, you know, and make, I started like making dolls and then I started, you know, with no skill or no, prototype wow. or anything. I just it started with cutting shape. Yeah. So with, with and again, we'll, we'll delve in a little more later, but we can bump around too. That's not a problem. With the illustrations, I mean, so you've had absolutely, you know, you didn't go on YouTube or you had no tutorials with someone sitting down with you and giving you some guidance. I mean, all this stuff basically is just intrinsic. Like you just did it on your own? Well, no. What happened was a few years ago, I moved in with um, – the fellow who is now my ex-boyfriend, who I still seem to see every day for some reason. Um, I, okay. I, I guess I could say he's my friend, but we could also call him codependent. Uh, but, you know, who's labeling? But when I moved in <laughs> with him, and, I, and I'm grateful for this, when I moved in with him, um, and not to say, like, I, you know, I feel like the creativity has always kind of had to find its way out for me. I feel like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I wish I was more business-oriented or I wore a suit. In fact, during the quarantine, I bought two blazers. But I, but in terms of, uh, you know, preparing uh, – well, we can get into that too. But when I lived with him, I had my little – I had a little area outside, and I just committed to it. You know, I took a class online, and I still, I still take it. And I, believe me, I, I mean, I, I definitely can see improvement, but this is with – the class is with people, like, from around the world. And there's no personal – um, you know, there's no personal attention from the uh, the woman who conducts the class, unless right. you're like amazing and she represents you. But I can still see myself getting better, and uh, so I, I take I take an online class. Um, it's called okay. Make Art That's All, and it's 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 really it's really good. Um, but I think like yeah, anything, no. it's just like practicing and just getting out of your way. And I think that's a good point. I mean, in terms of, and we'll, we'll touch more later, but with your illustrations, I mean, you definitely have your own style. You know, do you look at things to get inspired? I mean, you know, how did you come up with the style that you have? Like I told you, this kind of whimsical, you know, it's just, I love it. Well, I don't, I don't see, you know, I don't know that I have a style. Um, I mean, I would say that it's probably, you know, looks kid-like probably because I don't, you know, there's, Everything that I'm doing illustrating, it's like, it's fascinating because when I draw things, so many things I've never done before, you know, it's like, so I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting. And yeah, so, you know, you look up online, not, not other illustrations, you look up the real thing and then you like practice the real thing a few, you know, maybe, maybe like a few times or 10 times. And then, and then you pull away from the real thing and let your thing come out, you know, that, um, you know. I mean, no. I, I, I do find it interesting, and it could be like a curse of mine that I kind of, you know, even with the stand-up or, or with the illustrating, that I move on to these new things, but I think that they access different parts of your brain and they make you look at the mm-hmm. world differently. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll delve a little bit more into that later on, too, when we talk about, you know, some of the children's books and you've illustrated some other people's um, work, too. Um, so, yeah, well, I'll ask you some more questions about that later. So, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, like you said, you're going into seventh grade and, and you know, getting older. Um, 
What did your, like you mentioned, your dad was a physician. Um, what did, what was his specialty? He was an ear, nose, and throat and facial plastic surgeon. Oh, wow. Okay. But I don't know okay, if he so beautified. I don't know. I mean, he gave my brother a nose job, but I don't know. And he did a sinus, uh, he did a sinus thing on me my junior year in college. And then my senior year in college, I was stoned one time in the bathroom, and I wondered if he gave me a nose job. Like, I didn't know. He sometimes right. would overdo things. You know, he would operate. He also took my tonsils out, and then when I woke up, he had taken off a mole without asking. And he proceeded to do that, you know, when I was a, ju- when I was a junior in college and I had that sinus infection. I saw him eyeing my face, and I was talking like this. So, like, he knew that something was wrong. I was living in Italy because I was doing my junior year abroad. And, uh, oh, wow. And I, came, I flew home for spring break, and uh, I saw him eyeing my face. And I said, don't touch my face. Don't do it. Don't do it. And when I woke up, I had, like, 12 burn marks on my face where he burned off my beauty marks without, you know, without oh asking me. Oh, my god. Believe me. You know, we haven't even gotten to the pain yet. I'm, I'm you know, scared for the pain. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, he was a, you know, ear, nose, and throat guy, which is, honestly, right. when he died, I went deaf in one ear because before he died, he had, he had ear douched my ear, but then he couldn't breathe to do the other one. And the day he died, I was deaf in the other ear. And I had to get the other ear douche, and it was it was it wasn't as good because they had a plastic ear douche and not this antiquated metal thing that my dad had. I, I I became a bit of a hypochondriac after he died because as much as he would take advantage of you know, you know, burning things off without asking and whatnot. Right. It was it was great having a doctor. You know, I I miss that because I I live in a bit of paranoia now with my physical, you know, health occasionally. Okay. Okay. Oh my gosh. So okay. So he's in. He was in the NT. And was did your mom um, work too, or was she someone who just you know took care of the family? My, you know, my mom. My mom has you know she liked tennis. She liked you know bridge. Uh, she she took yeah she took care. She liked you know cleaning before the cleaning lady came. You know she's that kind of a beautiful woman. A beautiful a beautiful woman. You know she's she's yeah, eighty she's, now and she's living the she's having the time of her life between seventy and eighty she's you know exploded. Um, wow. She, she has she lives the life. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Worry. I mean, I see. Don't worry about things. Okay, but you said growing up, it sounded like she was pretty. Would you say particular in terms of how like she's wanted the household run or you know what was she like towards you and your brother in terms of, you know, was she more of like a disciplinarian or very authoritarian wanting things a certain way well I think she wanted things a certain way but I I know that well my relationship with her kind of shifted because when I was in ninth grade I had an eating disorder and I remember they told her you know I I developed an eating disorder in ninth grade and I was put in the hospital and and they told her I remember to be tougher on me and it was very I feel like that was weird I feel yeah. like that wasn't the healthiest information because I feel like what I needed was more of somebody, especially with what happened between my parents and I right. think between like the, the the kind of the crossing of boys and, you know, being sexual and, you know, the fact that, you know, my father tried to kill my mother and just wondering about it. And she had such resistance and took it so personally. And we've talked about this, you know, we fought about it for years, but you know, sometimes mm-hmm. she says she understands, and then you know she forgets. You know, uh, you know, two weeks later. But 
you know, just I, I feel like I, I just feel like we I feel like with my mother, she wanted a best friend, but she couldn't handle, you know, and maybe the pain of it. You know, she, I just don't think she could, she could handle that, you know. So she, right. she tried to be tougher on me, but tougher wasn't, I don't think, what I needed, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I can hear from what you're saying in terms of, yeah, I mean, that is a, that is a tough age because, like you said, just so many changes going on with you developing and growing up. Plus, you got unfortunately, these challenging family situations. Um, did In terms of how did you eventually, did you go into therapy after you got out of the program and continue with that? And did that, where, where did you find the coping skills? Because I know that's, that's not something I, you know, specialize in or know a tremendous amount about. But, you know, we know that it has a lot to do with self-esteem and control issues and things like that. Yeah. I, I um, well, it was interesting because, and this was sort of sweet, there was one woman that I crossed paths with in the hallway. She was doing an outpatient thing, and I was in the hospital. And she she was a, she was she had young children that were going to the same school as, as me. And like I said, you know, my school, I lived in a, you know, small uh, neighborhood called Ottawa Hills in Toledo. And, and she, you know, was in Ottawa Hills too. And so... She became a friend of mine, you know, like sophomore year and whatnot, but I really didn't. You know, there, I don't know how much outpatient stuff there was. I really didn't, I really right. didn't change that until my freshman year in college. I lived on a, a dorm floor with all women. I went to a school that had gone co-ed the year before, so it was mostly women. And I lived on mm-hmm. a floor with, with uh, all women, and eating disorders were spreading like wildfire, and I – and I guess a lot of when I went to college, I mean, and, this, and and honestly, the eating disorder shifted so many things within me. I feel like so much of my life about kind of I, I do feel like I'm a forward, um, you know, I'm an open person, but I feel like sometimes I can really shut down, and I feel like my life is a series of putting myself out there and shutting down. And as we were talking about quarantine, you know, it's funny because time passes, so years can go by, you know. There can be years when you're open and out there and then years when you're kind of hiding. So, uh, but my freshman year, people were developing eating disorders and I went to live with a friend um, in Newport and I didn't know how to function without like having the, you know, cafeteria or things like that. And I remember feeling like a jar of salsa, you know, and I'm not a thief. But I, I stole like a jar of salsa at 7-Eleven. And I remember calling my mom and saying I had to come home and go to a program. And so every day between my freshman year and, you know, when I came home from Newport and my sophomore year in college, I would drive to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I'd eat. Um, it was like a thing. They had an eating sort of thing and then people who were suicidal or depression or whatnot. And okay. I would eat two meals you know, two meals and therapy and then drive back to Toledo. And I did that for like six weeks of the summer. And and then I really feel like I got better. But, you know, still people, I don't know. It was very difficult because I feel like other girls, they developed, you know, I, I feel like I was trying to get better, but other people were getting fucked up and I'd get blamed or, you know, for other people's eating disorders. And, mm. I, you know, it was just, you know, I, 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 but I, I'm glad I did that program and I don't suffer from an eating disorder, but it's funny because I feel like that same stuff has morphed into other things. You know, it's like I deal right. with, you know, 
you know, trying to smoke, trying not to smoke cigarettes. You know, I've been a smoker or, you know, things like that. I feel like that is still an eating disorder. You know, my, some of my. Well, I think you make a good point with that. I think, you know, I think there's this addictive quality, which I'm sure you can, you know, comment on with an eating disorder and other things, like you said, whether it's someone who smokes a lot or someone who has some type of an OCD, you know, where they're, they like to have things particular and things in a certain spot. And if it gets messed up then you know, it starts that whole anxiety cycle. So I, I do see what you're saying in terms of how, although you're not, you don't have it anymore right now, it can cross over into other potential areas. But I think it's also good that you're aware of that. You know what I mean? I think people sometimes just aren't even like, you sound like you have a lot of insight and that's, that's really important. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that um, and talking about that. Yeah, I, I've always, you know, I've always been a bit perplexed by that because I feel like I've always had a bit of insight. Maybe I don't, you know, maybe someone could call, you know, call me out and say I don't. But I feel like I do have insight. But I, you know, people used to say, I don't know what the phrase is, something about like, you know, awareness or change, something about awareness and change or something. And I don't feel like that always leads to change. You can, you can be very aware and still have mm-hmm. difficulty, change, you know. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent with that. I don't think, right. I don't think it's not mutually exclusive where it's one or the other. Um, I think it's a matter of like, I think you've pointed out too, awareness and maybe wanting to change or someone's not ready yet, but it doesn't mean that you can't be aware that there's something there that needs to be adjusted. Um, so I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Phew. So, woo. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. No, it's really your life is just, it's, like I said, I reached out to you because I, you know, we had been quote unquote casual friends on Facebook and, you know, I always found your posts interesting. I loved your artwork and I was like, you know, she'd be really interesting to interview. And, and that's why I reached out to you. I wanted to bring you on and, and give you an opportunity to promote yourself and, and share your story. So. Well, that's sweet. Yeah I, yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, it's funny because I do feel like with, um, you know, even when I was young doing the performance in Chicago and whatnot, I always liked the dark and the light, you know, and, and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I don't, maybe I don't know how to manifest it yet, you know, in terms of like quote stand up, but when I was younger and kind of doing my own thing in terms of solo shows, which really is kind of ruleless, you know, and just kind of the need to express myself that I could kind of really explore, you know, the, 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 like the, the, the young playful and the, the wise older, or the, the slap and the tickle, the dark and the light. And I, mm-hmm. and I feel like inside, I feel like with the kids stuff, it's interesting because I really, I don't post a lot of my, um, the stand-up's interesting because I feel like it's kind of, kind of coming out of the hiding years, too, where, like, it's, like, you know, expressing myself and then feeling, like, what is true to me. And I don't feel like stand-up necessarily hits on all levels. Sometimes I kind of get envious of, like, more alternative stuff because I feel like when I was younger I was that way. But I do feel like inside there might be, like, a little, you know, a, a young I, – I, I guess with the kids' stuff it's, like, and hopefully I can get out of my way to do it to, to the level I want, but just to like, you know, express about, you know, being yourself and expressing and love, you know, loving and like the innocent side. Like I like, yeah. I like the innocent side, you know, but I, like no, I can, side. I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But, but I like the other side too, but I mean, I just feel like the innocent side is something that, um, 
I mean, maybe if I was more experienced with the illustrating, I would be illustrating differently. But, you know, for now, it's like I, I tried to, you know, school myself with the simplest of, like, poems, let's say, these books that I've made. I took the simplest things I could do and try to illustrate them the way I, I, I knew how to at the moment, you know. And like I said, I've, I've found myself progressing, but um, – it, it it is innocent, but it's not necessarily you know. I've got darker thoughts, but I don't express them you know as as much you know on Facebook or you know I don't right. tweet or anything like that. But I think I think your darker stuff and like I said, I mean I mean I absolutely love your comedy. It's definitely right up my alley in terms of what I like to see. I'm a huge you know I'm a huge Larry David fan. You know you know I like that kind of self-deprecating type of stuff, but still. I mean, the stuff that you do is great. I really do like it. I've, I've watched the Flappers thing several times now. And I wanted to actually make a joke with you because you used to talk about, you know, well, I'll never be a MILF, right? And uh, and I can relate yeah. to that. Um, but you said, maybe I can be a nilt. Or, no, I'm sorry, a pilt, the person yeah. I'd like to talk to. So I just, I love that type of stuff you do, um, talking about the, the the sex bot, but you're using it more in a platonic way and, I think it's great. I mean, I think, and, and you do bring out, I think, a little more darker stuff in that area. But like you said, the children's stuff and the illustrations is, is more of maybe tapping into, like you said, more of that, that innocence quality in yourself and, and trying to meld all these things together. Um, so I think it's great to have all those different aspects of yourself. You're definitely not unidimensional, you know what I mean, when it comes to that. Well, thank, I'll say thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, to digress a little bit, growing up, were you ever into sports or anything? And then we'll eventually get into, you know, being at Wheaton College and, and the major you went into and improv and stuff like that. You know, were you a, a kid that was into sports or no, you just more of like were into performing and things like that? No, I wasn't. I mean, and even in, even in high school, I really wasn't, especially because I, you know, as I said, that the eating disorder sort of set me off. I mean, I did things like, you know, track or, but, but that shifted, you know, I, I feel like, okay. I don't like any, I don't, I didn't like chasing a ball. I didn't, you know, I tried field hockey <laughs> for like, you know, two months or whatever. Um, I, I don't like, I never understood chasing a ball. I was a cheerleader. I, but looking back, I'm like, why did I do, you know, any of it for the most part, but no one right. put me in plays in high school because I feel like, you know, it was weird because when I went from sixth grade to seventh and eighth grade, I did all that, but the eating disorder shifted my ability to even, you know, believe right. in myself. You know, it's like, right. it's, uh, you know, so I kind of fell within, you know, and, and not everybody, you know, teachers or whatever. It's like, you know, they're only, only, and I understand this because I'm the same way to a certain extent. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to, you know, not be triggered by someone like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a certain kind of adult that, that can like, you know, see, you know, maybe what's inside of you and, and cult, try to cultivate that. Like there was a guidance counselor that was, you know, kind to me. Um, but, but on the whole, uh, no, I mean I did track and and I cheerleaded okay. and but I liked swimming. I liked acrobatics when I was young. I was never really a competitive kind of uh, sports person. Okay, okay. Um, so in in terms of yeah, growing up too, what types of you know, especially with you getting involved in comedy now and things like that, were you ever a TV person? And if so, what types of shows did you watch growing up? 
um, any people, you know, any shows or any particular individuals that, that inspired your comedy and your performance? Mm. Hmm. Well, um, <laughs> cheesy. well, you know, I, I feel like uh, Sanford and Son left a big impression on me when I was a kid. <laughs> okay. I feel like I watched more shows when I was younger and then when I was older, honestly, when I watch shows, I feel like I really like uh, drama. I'm a drama kind of person. I think I like, I think like movies and things that inspire and, and kind of the movies that my mom would take me to when, uh, you know, when they were divorced, you know, when you'd go with your, your parents divorced. So as a kid, you'd go, I'd go with my mother. My mother likes movies. So like, I feel like those seventies movies, like ordinary, yeah, maybe ordinary people came out in the eighties, but I I feel like those movies like Kramer versus Kramer, Ordinary People, mm-hmm. like those movies, all that jazz. I, I I like I like those movies. Um, but you know I did lay in you know when I sleep over at my dad's on Saturday night we you know I'd lay in his bed and we watch Saturday Night Live and listening to him cackle you know old school Saturday Night Live and the seventies yeah. you know, I like that. Um, honestly, I've denied myself. It's it's sad because I, I remember at like 18 driving across the country and I, I was like looking out at like canyons or something on the, on the, you know, like in New Mexico. And I was thinking, I want to be a performance artist. And, and I also in college wanted to be a comedy writer. The problem is, and I'm sad that I didn't really pursue that. The sad thing is, is that I also am a denier of things. So it's like, I really have never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. I really, I only watched Seinfeld, the last episode with John Panette. You know, I, uh, I, I am very, I am a denier, you know. So it's like I kind of, looking back, I wish I didn't do that. Uh, I wish, or I wish someone would have caught me, you know, what I was doing. But I didn't really feed myself uh, that kind of stuff. So um, in terms of. Real quick, I think you bring up an interest. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think you bring up a really oh, interesting yeah. point because you talk about all the time, and you do. You dive into all these new activities and these new passions, and you become really, really well um, versed in them. So I don't think there's necessarily a, a time of, oh, I didn't do this, so I can't now. Again, I would highly recommend that's my homework assignment to you watch Larry David. I didn't start watching that maybe till about a year ago. I've been watching, you know, it on demand. And I'm telling you, it is just, it's amazing. And even Seinfeld, if you start it from the beginning, I still think people can just pick up on stuff. Maybe it won't be your thing. Maybe you'll watch it and be like, yeah, it's really not my thing. But I think from just watching the type of performance stuff you do and the stand-up you do, I think you'd really like it. I, you know what? I, I believe you, and I'm going to take that assignment. I wrote that down. Okay. And I'll do it. <laughs> we'll be in I, touch. I, I, you and I are going to be in touch. I like that. Um, That's a good idea. Yeah, because, again, there was certain things. I remember when Larry did, well, again, I didn't have HBO at the time, probably, too. But I remember I was, like, I watched one episode. I didn't really get it. I was a huge Seinfeld fan. And there's a lot of similarities because, of course, he was, invo- you know, he was involved with the writing of Seinfeld. But it's different because, you know, Seinfeld's more sitcom-y. Larry David's stuff is more kind of, you know, like a camera following him around type of thing. But I'm telling you, Abby, once once I started really watching it, I I just was just – fascinated by how brilliant this guy is and this stuff is hysterical i think you're gonna love it you really will okay well good that gives me <laughs> something to do for however many weeks you know or how, how, <laughs> right. how much time. There you go. 
Um, I could use it. If, if the news is making me cry, maybe I should move on to something else. Yeah. No, this will, this will hopefully definitely make you laugh and cry maybe in a good way because some of the stuff is just, you know, it's, it's outrageous, the stuff that he comes up with or whether it's loosely based on stuff he's done or not. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just the characters are great. It's great. It's really great. Um, so I'm sorry. So, right, we were talking about just kind of movies and things like that and feeling. And what do you mean when you say denial? Like, what do you, like, how are you using, like, that term? I feel, I mean, I feel like denial in the fact that, like, you know, I, I in terms of, you know, feeding myself or learning, feeding myself, interesting, talking about the eating disorder. Yeah, like feeding <laughs> that's a little... You know, feeding myself that stuff that you know is in the is probably good for you. Like, if you want to be a comedy writer, you should watch. Or if you want to, you know, if you want to write for SNL, you watch SNL. Or if you want to, right. you know, if you want to be a comedy writer, watch the things that are, you know, the the top shows of, you know comedy or whatnot. I mean, I, I just didn't do that. And I feel like the same thing is, you know, didn't necessarily, and I heard you kind of talk about this with um, Tom Cotter, maybe Tom Cotter or someone else. I, I feel oh, like wow, you mentioned that was a while a, ago. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, but that, no, was, yeah, that was a while Matt, ago. Matt, well, and Matt Balaker, I was listening to him yesterday talking about like, even, and I read that book, you know, before I even listened to your interview, mm-hmm. when I saw that you interviewed him, I bought that book and I read that book and I was so happy I did. Um, awesome. But I just I feel like also when I look back, you know, some of my advice because I had a nice opportunity when I was young. Like my first trying to do comedy writing, I got I had like a little magical moment, and um, I feel like because of that magical moment, I never really learned how to. I just never really learned how to to pursue it, and I also didn't like I said didn't know really how to feed myself. Um, you know, to keep on to keep on pursuing, you kind of have to be aware of, I don't know what's going on around you, I suppose, and and put yourself out there, like go support right. people and go to shows. Which I think that part of that is like when I moved out here, Chicago was such a small community, and I don't think I would have ever survived the improv world now because it's, I feel like it's such a, you know, market. You know, uh, I I feel like right. um, when I moved, yeah, it was so small. It was it was like a little community. And I might I might thrive in little communities, but when I moved out here, it was big, and I was intimidated. And I never had been to L.A. I, I think I just they were turning my place into condos, and they, they turned Chicago into Chicago. And I and I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I was done with Second City, and I moved out here. And I think maybe maybe the other town, you know, the other town on the other side of the country uh, might have been better for me. But I think I was also intimidated about. Uh, that too, like how to how to survive in a town like New York. But I feel like maybe uh, energetically that might have been better. But I'm comfortable here in L.A. now. But I didn't, you know, go to the shows. I didn't put myself around. And, and it, it was, it, I, I think that ends up hurting you in the long run. I feel like even going to a Zoom show that I'm not doing but just to watch, you know, even with this in the beginning of the quarantine, I was, like, intimidated. But then I realized, oh, right. they're not looking at you. You can just... But part of it was like the social aspect. If you're going by yourself to go to a show and the show doesn't start on time and you're, you know, have to wait around for 40 right. minutes or you know, without like who to talk to. And 
half the time though you show up and you realize you know somebody like when you when you go out it's the most life affirming thing but it's hard to remember or when i'm in a certain state of mind it's it's hard to remember that that's the truth and what happens is you make an excuse i don't need to go to this party i don't need to go to this show and right. then you know then it's 10 years 20 years later and and you're forgotten about cuz you didn't show up you know I, and again, I I totally can empathize and relate to what you're saying. I, I see a lot of kind of those qualities in myself, too, with that, you know, you, you put yourself out there. And I think you're doing that. I mean, you feel intimidated, but you also push yourself. And you've clearly have proven by getting up and doing improv and, you know, throwing yourself into stand-up. I mean, I, I don't think necessarily – I understand you say, oh, I look back and maybe I lost some time. But as you see, people in all stages of life and in all areas of life sometimes – like you said, you just fall into something new and you work really hard at it and you can get really good at it. And I think, Abby, today with the way things are with entertainment, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities that, that people back in the day, like you said, when you had to really be at the clubs and kind of get in with that in crowd, I think it is different today. And I think there are different mediums where you can get yourself out there and, and get noticed that might have been different from, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, it's it's just funny. I think you're right, and all of these are just like mental self-imposed rules. I mean, yeah, no, honestly, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just yeah. I mean, and I think they're very cunning those rules that we make because they're not really real, but they feel so real, you know, in mm-hmm. your own head. Mm-hmm. It's funny with the, with the stand-up and stuff. I just feel like some of it's just really my feeling before quarantine, and I kind of remembered this this morning as I was walking the dog was really to just overcome myself and then and then to cross, like, the personal thresholds I've created, you know, where you just make the ceiling so low and you just – or whatever weird rules. I mean, that could be even – you know, that could even be a weird, you know, not an eating disorder, but a weird, you know, a weird rule that you've created for yourself that mm-hmm. uh, isn't real, you know. It, right. It's not – it's in your head. Um, right. But, that's but again, that's – Right. The head is, yeah, I mean, it, it has a lot of powerful, uh, as we know, a lot of power. But I think, again, it's bringing up that, that idea with you that we talked about earlier, which is, is the awareness and the insight. It's there. And, and you are doing it at times. Like you said, you, you threw yourself into stand-up comedy. Maybe, like you said, 10 years ago, you know, getting to L.A., being overwhelmed, you wouldn't have had, you know, just the, the self-esteem or, or the ability to put yourself out there, but you're doing it now. So you are proving that you can do it. I mean, and, and clearly you're doing an excellent job at it. You're not, you're killing up there. You're not bombing or anything. <laughs> well, you know, that's also another thing. I, mean, I, I feel like it's like, you know, having to fight the sabotager. You know, I, I feel like, right. I feel like, and that's cunning too, you know, the sabotager, the person that, mm-hmm. you know, or the person that can't, remember the good things you know you can't you focus on where the glitch is I mean that would just be my kind of like advice you know about looking back on life I feel like if you're going to knock the things that you've done you're really your foundation is going to be like sand if you're knocking where you which I've done you know if you're knocking and part of the illustration is that trying to be gentle you know just get out of your head be gentle Mm -hmm. Which was hard sometimes. I mean, last night I tried drawing. I drew like 50 different, you know, let's say 25, 25 different rats. And I was sort of heady. You know, I was doing the rats and I was being heady and 
Um, but, you know, I feel like it's all best when you just get out of your own way. But there's an art to that. And I don't know, you know, I don't always have that down. And I feel like the sabotager is very cunning. You know, sometimes the sabotager can sabotage before a show or before an open mic or you get intimidated by a person. And sure. it's just weird, you know. No, but, I know. I mean, I guess, yeah. So I guess it's good to battle that and to get over that, to realize that, and then remember that part as opposed to the part where you, you know, sunk or where you failed. And I right. and I do feel like a lot of my, you know, the ways I, and it's funny because I've gone to therapy in my life, but, you know, not everybody can catch you. You know, not everybody can catch it when it's happening. Um, or maybe you know, maybe I didn't even have the ability to articulate it. But um, I just I just feel like it's important to just kind of like, Honor, honor where you come from, and 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 or give you know put your hands together, give yourself a little nod to your past as opposed to knocking. I I think I did so much knocking, and maybe it had to do with my you know parents knocking each other, or um, you know just knocking, like knocking right. it, knocking. And I it's hard to grow when you know you're busy knocking. And again, I, I, like I said, I can totally relate to a lot of stuff you're saying. But I think even though the knocking's going on, you are able to stop yourself at times. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't have gotten to this level with your illustrations or with your, um, what's it called, the performance stuff and getting up there and doing the stand-up and, and having really good material. Like I said, it's, it's not, your material is not amateur for someone who's only been doing this for a couple of years. Um, so even though the knocking's going on, something else is kind of, I think, battling that, so to speak, and and pushing it out of the way a little bit so you can make that little pathway to get through. Well, it's interesting because even what you picked out from like that, you know, YouTube or whatever, which I'm very fragile about. And obviously, you know, I, I don't know if you saw like, there's like one video that I didn't even put up. It's got like 19 thumbs down on a video that warranted, you know, 18 views. And I feel like that's some of the, you know, Louis stuff. You know, I feel like I got kind of, you know, you know, people came and attacked me, um, you know, for, for that sort of thing. Uh, but I, 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 but with, with the, even the joke that you brought up the MILF thing, it's like, I feel like when I was in Chicago and what I still do now, which I, I don't know, um, is that I like generating material more than using the same one. I know you hear about stand-ups doing the same material over and over again. And I right. can see, I feel, like, I feel like I've got to turn more into that because I feel like I'm always trying to come up with something new or being kind of improvisational in the moment. And then I forget, you know, I forget, I forgot the milk thing. I forget, and I, you know, being organized with the writing. I, I feel like even with the solo shows, it's like I'm a generator. I like generating. Mm-hmm. I don't, I you know, the only thing that I repeat over and over is the same bullshit in my head. The other stuff, which, which, the, which the illustrating soothes, you know, like I said, when I'm out of my head, right. I like that out of my head feeling. But there's, you know, I, I, I still don't know the art of getting there, but I like, that's the feeling I like. Uh, but well, I like generating go ahead, go ahead. material. Yeah, yeah no, I, well, and I think you clearly, you've said that before. I was watching another um, video that I mean a Zoom thing that you did with um, stories with Steve, and you know I liked when you 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 were joking but you were really being genuine too. And you said, you know I'm someone who goes at something 150 percent, and then you kind of get bored or something, and then you move on to the next thing. So that clearly shows your creativity and that that desire to generate. And yeah, and I'm definitely a person like that too. I like to challenge myself, but. 
similar to you, that that voice is in there and, you know, it's kind of pushing you down and you're not going to be good enough and it's not going to be perfect enough. And right. That, that, that kind of battle that you have to deal with. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, there's so many like, and, and I like the observational type of quality with your stand up too. And that's, that's why I love Larry David so much and Seinfeld is because that's what it, it's looking at this like minutia, you know, in everyday life. And, and that's kind of how I cope with a lot of stuff. I'll go out and, I'll find something that's pretty dark and disturbing, but somehow I'll make something funny out of it um, and say, oh, that would be interesting to look at it from this perspective. So, you know, I think you have that quality. And if you really watch um, Larry, I think you'll, you'll appreciate that. Well, I'll do that. I'll do that. I, I, one, time <laughs> offered him, I one time offered him a half of like a piece of a caramel apple and he refused, but then he stood up. He stood up and said to Bob, "I, I was at the at a white, at, not White Sox, at a at a what a Dodgers at a Dodgers game, and I was in the okay the, what the box, and and Larry David was there, and and Bob Newhart was there, and Larry David stood up and like Bob, we're the most famous people here, and it was weird because I don't know, you know, I don't know anything about." It's weird running into people like that when you've never really seen their show. Like, you, you know who they are, but you're like, I, right. I feel weird. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know your skills. I know of your skills, but I don't know them. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't, and, yeah. Anyway. And so what, what happened? You offered him a piece of a caramel apple? Yeah, but he didn't take it. He, he, was, with a, he was with a very young, pretty woman, and he didn't take it, and neither did she. But I figured I'd offer it, but it felt a little... I don't, I don't know. I, 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 because in the box, you know, they have all those desserts and whatnot, and they part, they, they divided an apple into fours, and so I offered okay. a caramel apple. He refused because he was. I was sitting like a, you know, between. I, I was next to the woman he was with, and uh, yeah. Anyway, blah blah. That's that funny. was my one interaction. But, see, but that's. Larry, Larry but to me personally, even if he didn't use his name, that's that's kind of funny material. I mean, you could do something with that. That's funny. Even though it's it like probably disheartening that he refused your your piece of your apple, it's it's still kind of a funny thing that you might be able to do something with. You're probably right. <laughs> so um, okay, so let's let's get back a little bit to you know talk a little bit about Wheaton College um, and why did you choose art history as your major? What were you planning on doing with that? And and also pull in any interesting jobs you've had or any long time jobs you've had in addition to, you know, all the other stuff that you do, or maybe you, you haven't had jobs um, and you focus mainly on your, your writing and all that type of stuff. I'm saying, I'm not saying haven't had jobs. You know what I mean? Saying mostly focusing on creative stuff. Well, I love you for that. You know, I love you for giving me the option because it's true. I definitely have focused more on the creative stuff and my jobs, you know, really even, you know, even though I'm aging have all been sort of uh, little piddly jobs that I've done along the way. Um, but it, in terms of Wheaton and the art history, art history, I really wanted to be a creative writing major, but of course, you know, my parents had opinions and whatnot. So I, mm-hmm. I, decided, to be, I decided to be an art history major because the women wore, who uh, were art history majors, they wore scarves and they looked, you know, scarves <laughs> around their necks and they looked, they looked a certain way. So I chose art history, but for me, and that's why I went to Italy. I figured, you know, why not, why not just see the real thing as opposed to, uh, you know, look at slides. For me, art history was just like repeating what you learned, you know, I, which I, so, so I just, by my senior year, I was making up songs about artists and I'd share them with the class. But then when I'd have to do like a paper and stand in front of the class, 
I, I like crumbled. Like I became, I, I discovered my entertainment, even though people, I've never been traditional. Like people don't necessarily put me in plays, but I, I just started needing to express myself. So mm-hmm. Wheaton was free enough for a year. I created a show called Plates. And I had other women. I wore, a, I wore a blazer every day, and I had, like, six other women in this show. And it was on eating disorders, but nothing directly personal. And this was the beginning of me never talking directly until the Shagniverse. So it took me, like, you know, many shows to, like, tell you directly about my life. Um, right. Eating disorder, you know. So I did play um, art history was just, you know, a vehicle, I did, but I still did a lot of creative stuff. But, um, and, and then after, yeah, after Wheaton, I didn't, I worked at a theater festival and uh, I was like a dishwasher and a, a, an intern or whatever, but still very intimidated. Didn't know you could repeat stuff. So like stuff that was successful in college, I didn't know that I could share the same thing. I made rules like it was illegal to do the same thing. <laughs> it's like hard to build, you know, nobody, right. you know, you're just, so, so I, you know, theater school, I did that. And then when I was done, I remember I was in Toledo. I went to Ann Arbor and I found a book on second city. And immediately I started driving to Chicago from Toledo to take classes at second city. And then I, then I moved there, you know, after, after, but I, cause I found a book, you know, and I, I was like, that's what I wanted to do. And I, because I like the, which, which my experience wasn't like this all the time, but um, I like that free spiritness. I like, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. of course we like Gilda Radner and whatnot, but I just like, I like, I like that spirit of the seventies uh, kind of vibe. You know, I always right, wanted to be right. a hippie. <laughs> right. Um and how did you, okay, so you graduate Wheaton, you got the art history degree, you're, you know, you're having a variety of different jobs, and how did your mom react when you were like, you know what, I'm going to move, or your parents when you were like, you know what, I want to do Second City, I want to really get involved in improv, um, what was the reaction when you decided to pursue that? You know, I, I, I honestly, I think, I don't remember, I, I, I don't, it's funny, because I don't, Right. I don't. I mean, I feel like Chicago's such a safe city for anybody from the Midwest that I don't think you know parents would have much question about that. In terms of okay. in terms of the other things, I'm sure they had opinions, but but I, I no. I mean, I know my dad's last words when he died were "Go to med school." You know, that was one of and wear high heels and a skirt. Um, those were his last words. Uh, but but I I do. Uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me, unfortunately. But I, um, yeah, I don't know what they had to say. I, I feel like their concern might have grown later. You know, when you know, as I got older, being more traditional, which is sometimes my concern now. You know, even after this, I'm like, I don't know how much longer. You know, I probably need to put myself in the real world, but I don't know how much I really fit. You know, in the in the regular right. world. You know, every right. job I've had. They, you know, if I lose the job, they're like, you're a writer, you know, because I, and, and then I don't, you know, necessarily pursue that. But I do feel like inherently I, you know, am something. And I really hope that, you know, I don't, I hope I continue pursuing the books because it is a passion of mine. And I hope that I bring it beyond, you know, get over my, my threshold of feeling like I, sabotage like when sending a query you know it's like I can I can do things impulsively 
and and devalue mm-hmm. you know myself. I need right. to like back off a little bit and not be so you know impulsive um, sometimes with that kind of thing. Um, okay. Okay. I get, you know when when I get worked up when it comes to like industry things because I feel like even in Chicago it's like. In Chicago, I hosted a children's show on TV, and I was a, the White Sox spokesperson. But it's funny because I got myself in a bit oh, of wow. a bind, and I, I think my childhood has something to do with it, where, I, you know, childhood I had issues with money because, you know, my mom married with the wealthy guy, and there was a lot of stigma around, um, a lot of stigma around it, a lot, of, a lot of ugly things about money. So when money was given to me, you know, doing creative things, I often felt like I was disappointing people. And I feel like I got myself in a bit of a bind um, because it doesn't, you know, that's not a good thing to repeat in your head either. It's like I, I, you know, stopped auditioning a long time ago because when I would book stuff, that was like the worst part of it, you know. Um, I was so overwhelmed and no one gives you feedback and it's done. And like the auditioning part, you know, I've had compliments from Christopher Guest and whatnot, but when I book the, when I be on the set or book the job, I feel like, you know, maybe I'd do something wrong and I'd beat myself up for it for decades, you know? Right. Oh, gosh. Right. Yeah. Letting it go. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's interesting stuff with the hosting the children's, you said a television show, and then being the, the White Sox um, spokesperson. Announcer, you said? Or, I mean... Spokesperson. I, I, I did spokesperson. all the, like, the, okay. voice, the commercial. Right. Oh, wow. Okay, so you got voiceover yeah. work then, I guess, too, so to speak, right? Yeah, I, I, and I'm not comfortable with the voiceover. I actually don't like the voiceover stuff, but... but, okay. but um. No, people do. I, I heard uh, Tom talking about that. Uh, he he liked the voiceover. He did a lot of voiceover, apparently. But I, uh, yeah, no, I. I uh, but you know, some of those jobs were crazy. You know, they they throw me out because of my improv skills. They would throw me out into the wilds of people and expect me to, you know, like to, you know, like someone put a spatula between my legs. You know, they'd put me like in these rogue situations. You know, with like tail, like you know, some of the episodes. You know, they throw me in right. the shit. And, you know, whatever. Oh, long time, but, long time ago. Yeah, but what was like? So okay, so improv. I mean, how long? And then we'll we'll get we'll start moving along a little more just to talk a little bit about when you went over to um, the AFI, um, American Film Institute, because um, you definitely kept pursuing you know your your education in different areas. How long did you do the improv tour for? And and you know, do they do they pay decently for that? Because I don't know much about the Second City you know, tour yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, obviously that's a great gig to have. I, I um, you know, I, I improvised in Chicago for about five and a half years. Okay. Um, you know, and in Chicago, there's Improv Olympic, there's Annoyance, there's Second City. Most people want to, you know, most people perform at the Improv Olympic. And then from Improv Olympic, you go to Second City. Um I really loved my group of people at Improv Olympic. And most of those people have gone off. They're doing amazing things, you know, whatnot. I feel like when I got hired by Second City, I was, it's kind of like sensitive who's in your group, you know. And I feel like I didn't have the ability to really communicate um, or, or, you know, once again, it's like, 
I didn't, I, I, it wasn't that free spirit thing. I feel like there was issues. Um, our, our directors kept on changing. I got hired because of uh, Jeff Richman, who's, you know, married to Tina Fey. And I got hired oh, wow. Jeff okay. and, and maybe Norm Holly. And he was our director until he moved away. You know, Tina, Tina and him moved to New York. And then, and then we got other directors. And I think the women didn't like me, you know, because the new director would, like, rub my back, you know, and, even years later, we talked about it. I'm like, I think I wanted, you know, I didn't know how to communicate then. It's like, that's what people, that was the dynamic as opposed to someone giving you advice, they rub your back. You know, our touring company went through a lot too because, you know, I really loved John Farley and then his brother died during our tour. You know, we were about to do a tour and then, you know, we're waiting for John to show up and Chris Farley had just died. So I think oh our group, gosh. and I really loved touring, I think our group went through a lot and it was very difficult you know, to, um, you know, travel, you know, for three and a half weeks with people that, I don't know, that you might not connect with. Right, um, right. So that was difficult. I, I did it, but, you know, it's like one of those things. Maybe I'm not strong enough, but, like, if I, you know, all those, all the arts, you know, you got to be really fucking gifted if you're, like, in your head I, I don't know. Second mm-hmm. City for me, they were, they were, you know, honestly, one of my favorite times on stage. One of the biggest laughs I ever got was on stage with Chris Farley. And I, and that was like the highest of the high where you didn't let the intimidation get you and you kind of owned the stage. And that was a wonderful moment. But like once wow. I started weaker, you know, when you're feeling weaker, it, it's hard to, you know, put all yourself out there, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, once the doubts creep in, and I, and I feel like that was the beginning. I feel like I left on a weak note. I mean, I still continued doing solo shows because I felt like for solo shows I can pull it together something, you know, most of the time. Um, right. But, but sometimes with other people, and that could be, you know, part of, like, familial stuff or whatever, too. Sometimes with other people, it's more of a fear. It's not any kind of entitlement. It's more of a fear of, like, fully right. expressing myself with other people. You know, and I think maybe, like you said, too, if you're not, unfortunately, maybe connecting with these people on some level, you know, maybe there's more of that, not intimidation that they're better than you, but just like that they're looking at you. I mean, I think with a solo act, again, you got more control over it. You're driving the boat, so to speak. You don't have to worry about potentially, like you said, this this other noise around you. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in, in improv is like a lot about support. So if you're a person right. that kind of comes in a different way, and and you, but then again, it's like I could have learned the skill or you know worked on skills of supporting others. But I feel like you know once that stuff is like cracking, you know, it's very you got to be. I don't know, and I feel like maybe it was just one of those beginning of the time of like a you know a personal, you know, one of those again. I don't know when part of you like turns the sand, <laughs> like when part of you like right. gets touched and, you know, a piece of you turns the sand. It's just hard to put yourself out there like that. But I, I feel like my issues, I mean, it got to the point with improvising where if I could just stand on stage and have a thought, even if I didn't act out, sometimes the thoughts like I, it, it got to the point where I could, I feel like my thoughts were so present, but I wasn't acting on them because I was afraid. And some of them, like even one of them in my mind, I remember uh, this thing where I wanted to like dive across. The, 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 I was tightening someone's thing, but I was ready to <laughs> do like a dive across the st- I mean, I could have injured myself to catch a piece of oh, toast coming out of a I didn't do it. 
But it got to the point with improv, it was so sad, where if my brain would just think something, I would be like, okay, that's okay. But I was froze. I started freezing, you know, which was just not good, right. you know. Right. So no. that was hard. And, and maybe in a in a weird way, and I'm assuming it was after the improv that, and you can just, you know, piggyback off of this, started to think about going on to get your, your master's at AFI. Um, did you think maybe at that point, like you said, if, if you're – brain was so overwhelming you and, and these potential doubts and just, you know, criticizing yourself, was that when you kind of maybe, you know, your heart left it a little bit, so to speak, not that it ever went away because you definitely came back to it. You're doing stand up and you're still using it in different um, areas of your life. Is that when you started to think more about like the writing and, and you applied to AFI, like share with us how that kind of maybe was intertwined or, you know, went into that area. Well, I'll tell you, I had a big year in 2002 because my father died. I was working with a woman who had worked with Lily Tomlin and Kathy and Jimmy and Sandra Bernhardt, and I won a run wow. as a competition. Well, she ended up serving me papers on the stage. She ended up suing me. She's dead now. But she ended oh up serving me. Yeah, I won this competition, and then she started charging me for all these things, and I had never really paid for anything. I would do all my shows and, like, you know, people were generous in the basement. This woman was, like, charging me for the paint job of the stage, which I didn't ask for. She was just charged. She had three assistants. She was very overweight. I mean, like, she was very, her, her, like, ankles watermelon stuff. I mean, she was very overweight and, and kind of like a bit of a has-been. I, I know that sounds bad. I, I felt like, but you know, you know that there's certain people out here especially mm-hmm. take advantage of people. So, like, I won this competition. I was, like, her star, you know, students and she had all these like rules like um you know don't do your stuff other places at one point I went to Chicago and I I listened to her like I didn't do you know what I'd been working on so I did something different and it's the first time when like the internet was around and I got slammed by somebody online and And, and and real real quick Abby just to just so I know where we're at are you you're now in LA right now did you are we starting to talk about getting into the AFI school I'm in L.A., yeah. Well, I moved to L.A. Okay. in 99. I moved to L.A. Okay. in 99. Yeah. Um, okay. No, but so so the year I went to AFI, what happened was, yeah, my dad died. Um, that brought up a lot of, you know, pain. My stepmother, who was, you know, her last name was Good. She ended up marrying my dad's best friend soon after, cut us, my brother and I, out of her life. There were problems. The woman sued me, and then the Louie thing happened. And honestly, I felt like I felt like I didn't know how to. I felt like I didn't know how to not function in the world, but like that I shouldn't be. You know, there's something wrong. Like I can't be in the business kind of thing. I guess I decided that you know there's something inherently I don't know wrong with me. I went back to Chicago for a short time. I I, I don't know why. I guess it was impulsively. And maybe I shouldn't have done that because, you know, whatever, shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I guess when I was in Chicago, a part of me is like, I can't be here. You know, Chicago, Second City was turning into a major business. It had totally expanded. Um, You know, most of my friends were gone and friends make such a difference in any town. And it was Mm -hmm. cold and I don't, I'm not really into baseball caps. You know, that's not my Midwest is really (laughs) not my thing. And I, and I just, I applied to AFI, um, but even that was weird because I had so much experience comedically, and I feel like those people really, it, it was difficult. I feel like they were threatened by me, and mm-hmm. I mean, I know that sounds weird, but I, I no, that's no, one it of doesn't. Those, 
Yeah, I, I feel like people like I would I would um yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I did good stuff at AFI. However, you know, things I feel like the voice in comedy is very particular and if you've got someone, you know, from a foreign country doing it or they're afraid that you're gonna control like they'd make me audition with people, people would leave thanking me. They'd have so much fun, but then they wouldn't put me in it and that's not wasn't my feeling, but it was just like a weird I don't know. It wasn't. It was. No, it was fine. But no, it's, it's a lot of money, and, and I wouldn't necessarily advocate it. Okay, you just know, schooling, just going there. Huh? You mean a lot of money for the school? You're saying, and you wouldn't advocate? Yeah, a lot of money for the school. A lot of money for the school. I, I, I kind of feel like if you, if you want to be an editor or like cinematography, you know, film school is mm-hmm. not a bad idea. That's a good idea. But I feel like for screenwriting, and, and maybe right. other people would totally agree with me um i i just feel like and one of the first things i heard you know in at afi was like it's about the credits and like just a couple years before i remember robert smigel calling me and asking me if i wanted a credit for tv funhouse if i wanted to get paid and i said i wanted to get paid and then the first week of film school i hear that it's credits that are important so like things like that that were just like oh fuck this you know like and i remember telling my mom that i wanted to stop after the first year and she said, no, you know, like that you need to finish, you know, finish what you started. Kind of like the same thing with college. And I don't really believe that. Like, it's like, I feel, and I did finish it, but I do feel it's mm-hmm. turned to shit. First of all, you know, people do things like that for connections. Half of the writing right. instructors, they died or got fired for being, you know, inappropriate or whatever oh. happened. And, and it just, just, you know, it was just a lot of money, you know, for, for, but it got did me you... back out here. Okay. So, yeah, what, I mean, looking, reframing it and looking from a different perspective, did you make any connections at AFI other than, like you said, getting you back out to LA? um, Anything that you felt, you know, you took away from it other than some of the struggles and some of the challenges that came along with it? I don't know. That's one of the things, you know, unfortunately, when I look back and say like uh, things that I've not, I think I did, you know, time knocking that, and I, I mean, look at, I'm, 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 I don't mean to like, and I'm not knocking the core myself. Did I take anything out of it? I'm, I'm sure I got something out of it, but, you know, I, I, and I, and I really do, I really do like like movies. Go on. Oh no, you you didn't feel like ultimately it was in the big scheme of things was worth it. You didn't. You don't feel like you took something away from it that the two years you spent there going to there ultimately made it worth your while. I'm sure for whatever. It, I'm sure it served its purpose or whatever. Maybe and maybe <laughs> one day, maybe one day I'll get back to that. And, um, but you know it's funny because I see people who were so good at writing. You know, writing like independent stuff, but then they try to write. You know, uh, a comedy. Like I feel like people get so they try to fit in, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I feel, I feel like there's problems with that a little bit, you know, like I, I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's like I see beautiful writing and then they try to like do something in a genre that isn't like theirs. And I, I, I to, to try to, I don't know. I, I don't think, know. Maybe you know, it'll I mean, all work out. No, no, no. I think it's an interesting, I mean, theme that I think I see going through the interview too is, and, and I see a lot of this in myself. We'll talk off there. I'm not bringing myself up. But 
you know, is this really this, and I'm saying this in a positive way again, this outlier quality of you, you know, you're very, you're real and you're genuine and you're authentic and it, and you don't want to necessarily put yourself into some mold or have to be like everyone else. And I, and I think that's what sometimes makes it tough for someone like you or someone like me or people like that, because it is hard to fit in. It is hard to find your niche and you have all these interesting qualities that you're, you know, culminating and bringing together to create, you know, who Abby is. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's what some of the themes and things you're talking about that, that makes it difficult. Right. Cause if, if you can't, you know, write a certain type of style, then it might be harder to fit in with that group or get yourself to that next level. And, and that's, that's to me personally, that's a shame when people function like that. Yeah, and I and I just think that like, and I don't know if the, I don't think that the teachers cultivated that. I think it's like I think that the students pass that around. I mean, I I you know look at mm. I guess it's a it's an okay time to experience to experiment, but I don't feel like I I don't know I I I don't know I just um. I don't know. Yeah, again, I don't think it's necessarily either or, but I'm just reflecting, like, I've, I've written a lot of music, and I remember a, a certain thing I would do sometimes is I would be listening to genres I like, and as I would write something and someone would really like it, I'd be like, yeah, no, nah, that's not good enough. You know, the melody's not, not like this artist a little bit. You know, I had my, like you, with your artwork. It was my own original style. But I would notice when some people listened to it, they'd be like, well, I can't really categorize this, and I can't really put it somewhere it's not necessarily pop it's kind of you know it's not rock and it just didn't fit in and to me personally that would make me then critique myself and say okay I need to make it fit this mold which was not a good thing because there was a lot of originality to it and I think that's what we're talking about too with what you're talking about with writing and and all the different things is trying to sometimes make it fit a mold that people will like it or look at it or get it to that next level right I don't know. Well, and I <laughs> and I do agree. With your, I do. Yeah, no, and I and I do agree definitely with your outlier cat, you know, category. And, and I think it's funny because it's like being an outlier, but like wanting so badly to belong. But like, I, you right. know, what can I do? I, I I can't change my. I I don't know how to change it. And like, so it's like, you know, you can either. No. You know, I'm not really about thinking about changing it. It's more of finding, I think, the right people that you do kind of gel with. You, you know what I mean? And I think, it's, I think that's hard because I think there's maybe not a lot of people like us, you know, or there, there are, but it's just finding those people. Because I know what you mean. It, you, can, you're, you seem like you're very friendly. You're very open. You're outgoing. I'm sure people love to hang out with you, but I think you also crave a deeper connection with people, you know, on another level where you really have some type of a relationship. It's not just kind of this, more kind of superficial surface equality where, oh, we get along because we both are into art or we both like music or we both, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I'm just saying the problem, the problem of like, you know, kind of wishing. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm just, I'm just saying when you're an outlier, but your longing is to belong. It's like, ultimately you can't change yourself. You are who you are. You're going to, you're, I mean, the good thing about getting older is, to a certain extent, you're going to have to come to terms with uh, that. You know, it's like, but I, like I said, I did buy two blazers during quarantine, thinking, well, maybe I'll put on a blazer. Well, maybe that'll help me out. Right. Um, well, you know, I, I mean, yeah, it's okay. I'm not wearing it yeah. it's over the chair. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, but no, I think it's it's interesting topics, and I think it's interesting stuff that you know. Hopefully, people who hear the interview um, will be able to. You know, it will resonate with them. They will relate to it um, because I can, like I said, I really can relate to everything you're saying. Maybe not on the same levels with certain things, but a lot of the kind of qualities about who you are as a person um, definitely um, resonate with me. Um, so. So talk well, a little bit about some – go ahead. I said hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I think something interesting, and you can still pull this in with, with some of your creativity because I know you've done some stuff with children, is, you know, you got into yoga. You just share with us a little bit about, you know, when was it, what was the timeline when you got involved in that, what inspired you? I mean, you have a bunch of certificates, and that's at least – something that's far-fetched from me knowing a lot about. So you can give us a little bit of a, a background on that. Well, I think when I was done with film school, I was kind of wondering, you know, I, I basically started doing yoga, and I'm so glad I did. Um, now when I do yoga, I just basically go to the cemetery and stretch, sometimes, you know, on graves and sometimes not. But, you know, I really love yoga, and honestly, I feel like, um, and I and I taught kids, and I loved I, I mean, I would just go from class to class to class to class. I did it. I did it for about seven years, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but sometimes my artist takes over, and uh, my artist took over. And I and I believe me, they were very helpful too with you know some of my creations. But it's like I, I think I valued towards the end um, creating more than yogaing. And the problem with the yoga is, I think I started thinking. I don't live this lifestyle in terms of like, you know, I'm not, I was smoking. I was, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not living this. I love stretching. I like breathing. I love kids. I felt like for me, when I taught yoga to kids, it was more of a way to this. It, it was like, it was like a great improv exercise for them. And for me in terms of just breathing, getting out of your head and playing and moving and, mm-hmm. um, I really like that. Nice. Nice. Well, and I'm sure on some level, again, like you said, it might not be the lifestyle you're going to live, but you can still incorporate it into your life. It could be a nice coping mechanism, a nice way to help you kind of, like you said, get out of your head and relax at some point. Um, so that's great. That's true. And, and let's be honest, even with the yoga, half of the stuff, you know, is like really I don't necessarily want to go to a teacher that's all, you know, hoity-toity about this. Right. Spiritual aspects or all the other bullshit. It's like, let's be honest, you know, it's like stretching and breathing is the number one part. And, and, and finding a temporary moment to get out of your head, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the nice part. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, and real quick, because I'm just looking at some of my other notes here. I heard you mentioned you had a dog. What kind of dog do you have? Well, now I have a, a, a pit lab named Giant. Um, and then before Giant, I had Nilo, and he was a French bulldog, and oh. he made it to four, he made it to fourteen and a half, and um, wow! But now I have, and he's good. I know that's pretty old for a French bulldog. That's good, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm a huge. No, I have a cat. I have a, a little orange tabby who has a bunch of uh, medical issues, so it's it's like having a kid, basically. <laughs> oh my god! Where do you live? Um, and I'll tell you more details off the air, but I'm on the East Coast. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I know you're on the West. I'm on the East, so our time's a little uh, different right now. Um, 
So, yeah, yeah, so that's where I'm located on the East Coast. Yeah. Oh, good. So, yeah, so um, these books that you have, too. Um, now, these aren't available to purchase, are they? Well, you can, but you probably have to tell me because I'm not, I, I, I don't even, like when it came to like purchasing even on my website, I got as far as, uh, as far as that section and I don't know how to do that. So if anyone ever wanted a book, they'd have to probably like email me or, you know, send something on okay. Facebook. Well, but we, yeah, we, no, we got like, to find you to get those books out there. I was, you know, they need to be on Amazon and all those good places because I was looking at them on your website and they're just, they're great. I mean, the content's great. I like I guess that I love your I love your art style and your yeah it's all great so those need to be out there. <laughs> well, you're sweet. If you want me to if you want me to send you some, I'll do it. You know, for for this interview, if you get if you've got any kids in your life or you want to keep uh, if you if you want to keep them yourself, but I'll uh, you know give me your address and oh, I'll send thank you some. You. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah, maybe we could talk about how to get get those out there. We got to get get you some. Uh, did you look into publishers or look into any type of, and again, I don't know tons about that, but I'm someone like you. I like to do research and look around and learn things. I mean, did you try to get to that level or you didn't even do that yet? You know, it's funny because I think I do a lot of research. And then with the children's books, though, you know, I, I've written a, the, the one thing that I really pursued, I wrote a young adult book and then I pursued it, got a lot of like response. And then felt oh, wow. like I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to manage like redoing it. It was really nice, but I mean, I'm like, I'm not gonna, like, I moved on to the next thing, because I'm like, I, I'm like, underneath it, I didn't, and I don't even feel like young adult books is really, you know, my passion, because I'm not right. even the biggest reader. So, like, when it came to these children's books, the picture books, I think that, um, you know, I do one, and then I move on to the next one, and so, like, I think I'm going to send it, and then I move on, and I devalue the one before, and so right. I'm just happy know. if any, yeah. And and then you know you're working on your like your magnum opus you know you're working on that the one thing you know that that next thing and I'm always looking you know doing the next thing so right um, right because I mean with the children's books it's easy to see that like the style evolves or and I think that mm-hmm. because I finished and I feel like in the picture book world it's like if you show them it finished they think that you're not going to change them or whatnot and it's like. It's like I'd like to say that, like, I finish it just for my own, you know, for a craft fair or my own enjoyment. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to change it, but I, I do need to right. find an ally in that world, and I hope that I give myself the opportunity to find that so I can, you know, I hope I give myself the yeah, opportunity. Yeah, definitely, because I, I think they're excellent, and I definitely think they could, you know, there, there is a niche for those. Um, absolutely. Thank you. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah, so, I mean, just to, because I've had you on for, gosh, an hour and a half already. I don't want to keep you on all day. Um, Can you share with us just any other interesting things you're working on right now that you want people to be aware of, of course, where people can find you? And real quick, I wanted to ask you, how did you come up with your, the title for not just your website, but, you know, basically your signature on your artwork, your friend, Abby? I love it. How did you come up with that? Well, and I'll be curious to see how the industry feels about that. But, you know what, Uh-oh. I got an issue. Yeah, exactly. When I was 21, I went to a women's festival in Hart, Michigan, and I left thinking my middle name's Hartman, and I probably should have knocked off Shackner a long time ago. When I say my name, I go, <laughs> when I say Abby Shackner, I really, I have to go, like I get like a sign, like a post-nasal drip. 
You know, for some reason, <laughs> Abby Shack makes me have to, like, you know, just, you know, kind of go like that, you know, like a pig noise. Right. I, 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 don't, I don't know why. And uh, I, I guess I just, for always some reason, have had an issue just with my name. You know, I've, I've seen it spelled wrong. You know, even when I was doing the solo shows, it's spelled wrong. It's, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm totally Shackner. Which, for better or for worse, I'm I'm a Shackner. But I feel like uh, your friend Abby. I don't know. I, I I think I feel better, you know, just not being a Shackner. You know, like I feel like okay. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I mean, and there's a, there's a big children's author named Judy Shackner, but she married into it. I don't know if she was Judy Shackner when she was born, how she'd feel about it. But Judy Shackner's very popular, but. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like it, at one point I wanted to be Farnsworth Noodleberry. I wanted to be Zelda Gracious. <laughs> I wanted, you know, like I wanted to be. You know, right. I just, I just want to be someone magical because I feel like it comes from a magical place, you know. So to, you know, I hope, I hope I get to continue being your friend, Abby, because I kind of like it, you know. No, I like um, it, and it's so fun. I mean, I never would have thought that that was the reason or your, you know, your perspective on why you chose that. But I mean, to me personally, it just has this very friendly quality about it. Like, Oh, wow. Like, you know, like I'm not saying this, I mean, literally, but like, wow, I can be Abby's friend. Like it just has this very light quality. If I, I'm not, I, I don't know how to describe it. Right. But when I look at it, like it brings a smile to my face, like, Oh, wow. You know, like it's just, I don't know if you know what I'm trying to say. Well, good, and I mean, in a way, you know, I hope that, you know, in the future when, you know, if, you know, when or if I get to do this more, I, I do hope kids feel that way about me, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I do hope that I can, because I feel like that about certain children's authors, you know, and especially even when I look back at Shel Silverstein, sometimes I feel like, you know, he's writing to, you know, you, you know, when you read it, he, he addresses right. you. And you right. feel like, wow, I love him, you know, because he's talking to me. Mm-hmm. So, and oh, I like definitely. friends. <laughs> Who exactly. So, yeah, so just, you know, share with any other things that you have in the works that you just want people to know about. And, of course, where people can find you, your Instagram and things like that. And then we'll... We'll wrap up, and of course, you're always welcome back on down the road when you got some new stuff going on. I'm sure we can tap into some other areas of your life too without repeating what we talked about today. Well, yeah, well, who knows? Okay, well, if anything occurs, we can talk again. You know, beyond beyond uh, my own apartment, but um, just I'm working on trying to make this trouble in the kingdom. I've been, I you know, wrote a compilation and a series of poems, and I think I'm trying to figure out how to illustrate them, and um, that's what I'm trying to do now. And then, uh, and then you know, stand up. We'll see what happens when uh, the world comes back. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you want to find me, it's at your, I call it down dash, but apparently it's underscore, at your <laughs> underscore friend underscore Abby. Don't you like down dash, though? That sounds good. Yeah, down I like dash. that. Yeah. I mean, that's what it looks like. Um, it does. Your underscore friend underscore Abby, Abby Schaffner on Facebook, S-C-H-A-C-H-N-E-R. And then uh, I've got your friend Abby, a website, which um, maybe I'll maybe I'll get back to it and start, you know, 
writing stuff. It's mostly just art, but maybe I'll start, mm-hmm. you know, writing a little stuff. But um, yeah, and then if you and if you're interested in any of the books, you know, you can always get in contact with me, and I'll send you pictures or. Uh, you know, make a transaction. The good thing now is, like, if you want anything, we got Venmo and PayPal and all that stuff. But, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see. Who knows? 2020, we'll see what the rest of the year holds. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. It was a phenomenal interview. You destroyed it. You killed it. Um, so, as, as I said before, too, and I don't know if I said this, but there'll be a podcast for people to stream or download for free after we're done. So, you know, please keep promoting it. I'd love for people to have a chance to, you know, hear your story and, and learn about who you are. And you just are an amazing person. Um, and I definitely want to be in touch with you off the air, but I also want to wish you the best of luck with all of your endeavors. Thank you. You're welcome. And I enjoyed my time with you. I was, I was nervous. Uh, and we can talk about that when we get off. If you really will stay on the phone with me, I'll talk to you about about that. But I'm I'm really happy. And let me tell you, I don't know as an outsider what it sounded like, but for me, it was uh, that went by really fast. Yeah, no, I, I always feel that way. So I'm glad that you said that too. And like I said, that's one of the most that's the best quality. I I mean, best comment I always get from people is just that it, it flew, and they just didn't even realize it was that long. Or yeah. So thank you so much. I mean, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'll send you my um, contact number and stuff just because once I, out of this program, it's a whole, like, interface thing that I use through a company. Once I kind of get us off of it, it just goes, you know, we'll go out of the system. Um, So, yeah, okay. I'll send you my number and we'll set up a time sometime because I would really like to just chat with you. I think we have a lot in common. Okay, good. I look forward to it. All right. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much, Abby. Um, yeah, have a great day and stuff. We will definitely be in touch. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Okay, great. I will be in touch with you, okay? Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone. Again, Abby Shackner. She was an uh, amazing interview, an hour and a half. She really delved into her life story. Such a such an interesting person, and I think what you'll really capture throughout this interview is just how you know, real and genuine, down-to-earth she is, and she's just got you know, a whole phenomenal amount of talent. So if you tuned in late, please um, check out the podcast. It'll be available probably within the next, I'd say, 20 minutes. Um, again, you can follow her, as she says, at, uh, let me get the information here, you can go to yourfriendabby.com, and also a friend her on Instagram at your underscore friend underscore Abby. So she's available there too. All of her whimsical artwork, you can check it out. Again, thank you for tuning in. Um, please become a fan of the Carrie Ottoman Show on Facebook. You can like me there. I always put out posts for when upcoming interviews are. You can also follow me on Block Talk Radio, and that will give you um, some indicators and send you some information about when the next interview is. And um, you can also friend me on Facebook, Carrie Edelman, and I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Carrie Edelman. And so, again, I really appreciate the support. Please uh, go to iTunes, you know, download some of these interviews I've done. I've really put a lot of time and effort and research into them. I try to make each one unique and different um, and tailor it towards the guest that's going to be on my show. So we have comedians, we have authors, we have lots of musicians, um, just people with really interesting stories. So uh, check it out. Uh, spread the word about my show so we can get it out there and get more people to hear it. And um, have a great day. Take care. Thank you again for the support.